This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Jolan Ansami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. Welcome to America's Roundtable. Good morning. It is Saturday, and this weekend on America's Roundtable, we're delighted to be joined by Cheryl Chumley, a patriot and principal leader who advances the significance of the rule of law and America's constitutional principles. Cheryl Chumley is a best-selling author, commentary writer, podcast host, and the online opinion editor for The Washington Times. She is the author of best-selling books, Socialists Don't Sleep and Lockdown, available on Amazon. Cheryl hosts a twice-weekly podcast called Bold and Blunt. She's an Army veteran and also a licensed private investigator. And on this note, a good morning and welcome, Cheryl. Welcome, Cheryl. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you, Cheryl. Inflation is hurting American families. In September, U.S. inflation, that is prices of goods and services, increased by 8.2% from a year ago, slightly easing from August's 8.3%. However, the core inflation, which excludes energy and food items, reached 6.6%, which is the highest annual increase in 40 years since 1982. So, while volatile prices of energy may have gone slightly down from August to September, the core inflation has continued upward trend. The housing costs rose by the most since the early 1980s. The Social Security Administration announced this week that Social Security benefits would increase by 8.7% in 2023, which is no real increase in benefits, but just keeping the pace with inflation. Average hourly earnings rose 5% in September from a year ago, which means that the real wage growth is eroded by inflation, so that wages can buy less food, provide for less medical care and less housing than a year ago. Cheryl, what is your message to our fellow Americans who have to reduce and adjust their everyday consumption and postpone their American dream of owning a home, and for small business owners who will pay higher taxes because of inflation? Well, my message to America depends on who you voted for in the recent election, in the presidential election. If you are watching right now and you voted for Biden, well, this is what you you get with Joe Biden. And this is what conservatives were warning that you would get with Joe Biden. So hopefully lesson learned and come the midterms and 2024, your vote will be smarter. And if you were a conservative who did not vote for Joe Biden in the recent election, then, you know, buckle down because the predictions are bearing true. And these numbers that you cite, Natasha, 
very important numbers, but I don't think most Americans uh, need the numbers to know that when they go grocery shopping, that the the amount they pay at the checkout counter is a lot more than it was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And I think no matter how much money you are earning right now, whether you are a top earner in America, a middle income earner, or just struggling, you are feeling a pinch, not just from grocery prices and uh, gas prices, but energy prices as we head into the winter, expect those to rise. I think you feel that your money is just not going as far as what it used to. And so the message is you need to consider when you go to the polls this November, think of your finances, ask yourself that age-old question that Reagan himself first asked, are you better off today than you were, and then vote accordingly. Indeed, Cheryl, and I'd like to segue to America's waning leadership abroad, but also our domestic issues as well. And this past week, the Wall Street Journal, and I quote, days before a major oil production cut by OPEC, U.S. officials call their counterparts in Saudi Arabia and other big Gulf producers with an urgent appeal delay the decision for another month according to people familiar with the talks the answer a resounding no and a further quote Saudi officials dismissed the request which they viewed as a political gambit by the Biden administration to avoid bad news ahead of a U.S. midterm election on which control of Congress hangs, unquote. Now, this is certainly very disconcerting. In the run-up to the midterm election, President Joe Biden is using the office of the White House to threaten a longtime U.S. ally, Saudi Arabia. And Saudi officials stated that if, if they would not delay the OPEC decision by a month, that would weaken vital support in Washington for the kingdom. And this appears to be a political move to show up support for the Democratic Party rather than a strategic endeavor to help Americans on the long run. One would also surmise that this appears to be a blatant quid pro quo. And not too long ago, a president was impeached for much less than this. Cheryl, what are your thoughts when you review the communication between Washington, D.C. and Riyadh, the efforts to alienate a longtime ally and place Americans at greater economic risk while coddling Iran, a state sponsor of terrorism? Well, I think this Joe Biden administration is showing its utter weakness and fecklessness on foreign policy. And you can point to about any country, uh, our relations with them now to make that point. But you ask about Saudi in particular. And so that's what I'll speak to. If you remember Joe Biden, when he was campaigning, he was talking about cutting relations with Saudi Arabia uh, because of Khashoggi and, and so forth. And he came out very strong, angering uh, the king before he even took over in the White House. And then when he was in the White House, he had to go hat in hand, basically, to Saudi and ask, beg, plead on behalf of America about oil production. And he failed on that count. And so prices rose uh, over the summer, as we saw, prices rose on fuel. And so now here he is in the same predicament. And again, Saudi is 
playing off, I think they're just playing games with this president because they know they can. And it's probably a little bit entertaining if you are a member of the Saudi government right now to watch how Joe Biden and this administration is just bouncing back and forth in the wind based on their actions. And so it just shows long term that this president on foreign policy, whether we're talking about Saudi and OPEC and oil production and gas prices for American citizens, or if we platform to North Korea, Iran, Russia, this administration on foreign policy is weak and everybody in the world, particularly those with hostile uh, intents against America, know that. Mm. Uh, Cheryl, in its own investigation, uh, the Wall Street Journal found out that more than 2,600 senior executive branch employees from the Commerce Department, Treasury, EPA, Defense, IRS, SEC, Fed, HHS and Interior owned shares of the same companies that they were regulating. In the Wall Street Journal article published this past week, Don Fox, an ethics lawyer and former general counsel of the U.S. agency that oversees conflicts of interest rules, was quoted saying, Federal agency officials, many of them unknown to the public, wield immense power and influence over things that impact the day-to-day -day lives of everyday Americans, such as public health and food safety, diplomatic relations and regulating trade. And the data is staggering. So from the Wall Street Journal's own investigation, they say that more than 1,800 federal officials reported owning or trading at least one of four major tech stocks. So Facebook's Meta platform, Google's Alphabet, Apple and Amazon. Then more than 60 officials at five agencies reported trading stock in companies shortly before their departments announced enforcement actions, such as charges and settlements against those companies. Now, more than 200 senior EPA officials, which is one third of officials, reported investments in companies that they were lobbying the agency and so on. Uh, Cheryl, we can see a myriad of problems here with unaccountable administrative state that can be summarized in two major issues. Firstly, how can we expect from our government to uphold the freedom of speech, free market enterprise system based on the rule of law, and stand for America's defense and security if government employees are protecting their own investments in the same companies to which they should regulate and impose sanctions or penalties? And secondly, at a minimum, this is a clear conflict of interest. And why it is not considered an insider trading? When we look at the definition of insider trading, it says, it is the trading of a company's securities by individuals with access to confidential or material non-public information about the company. And shouldn't this be considered insider trading, which usually leads to a maximum fine of $5 million and up to 20 years of imprisonment? Of course, it's insider trading, but because it's government officials, they're not going to name it as such and they can get away with it. Look, this just is indicative of a broken system. And as astonishing as that Wall Street Journal report was, and as, as great as it was, it's probably just the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, we just had Nancy Pelosi's husband uh, being put under the fire uh, of media fire back in July because he sold some stock at the same time, uh, a chip maker company at the same time that the House was considering legislation about chip making and so forth. 
there's a reason that members of Congress are all called members of the Millionaires Club. And chances are, if you wait a few years, it'll be called the Billionaires Club. The, the bigger problem with, aside from the corruption, the bigger problem here is when you see corruption like this, it gives the socialists and far leftists a rally call to condemn capitalism and condemn the free market system. Exactly. Because they can point to it and say, see, see, these greedy capitalistic pigs like Barack Obama liked to term them just want to take advantage of and exploit the little people and steal the money from the system and enrich themselves. And in one sense, they're right. But in the bigger sense, that's not the problem. The problem is not the system. Capitalism is the greatest system in the world, and it allows the most individual ability to flourish for yourself and your family. The bigger problem, and you guys know I'm going here with this because everything goes back to this, is the cultural decay. It's what founding fathers warned about if we did not have a moral and virtuous people. It, it would become a system of immoral people running the government and political system and economic leadership positions such as we have now. And those people being corrupt and immoral would, of course, bring forth immoral and corrupt actions, which is what we're seeing now. So if you want to fix this system, which, as I said, this is probably just the tip of the iceberg. If you want to fix it, you have to go back to the root, which is the culture, which is the the change of America from a, a nation of godly people who by and large went to church and, and put forward and taught Judeo-Christian principles and biblical truth to the younger generations, the turn from that toward a path of secularism, atheism, and the growing nuns, which is sort of uh, another way of saying secularism and atheism. And so that's where the problem lies. That's what we need to address. And once we address that and come back to God, so to speak, as a nation, a lot of these corrupt problems will disappear naturally. Right. And also the government of, by, and for the people is replaced by the administrative state. And one of the best definitions of the administrative state provided Dr. Victor Davis Hansen that you also host very regularly on your show. Uh, and he says that the administrative state is just absorption of the constitutionally separate powers of the executive, legislative, and judicial branches into one omnipotent entity, into the hands of people never elected to their position of power. The regulator, after all, has no constituency that periodically audits his conduct. He can create a rule and then become the judge of the whether the targeted citizen has broken it. Finally, as an executive, he has the power to enforce upon the offender his own prior legislative and judiciary rulings. In response, the citizen has no direct control over the anonymous bureaucrat. How do we fix that system? How do we actually dismantle this administrative state? Well, what you described is exactly what occurred under the two plus years of the coronavirus chaos that went forth, not just in this nation, but around the world, right? You had a few select bureaucrats dictating to the rest of the nation how we all should behave, and they stole our individual liberties. And so when you ask the solution for that, the solution is that each and every individual in America has to stand up and fight for individual liberties. Just because we have 
a piece of paper called the Constitution that supposedly guarantees us a limited government and rights that come from a creator and government being there only to preserve and protect those rights, just because we have that written doesn't mean that the people in power are abiding it. And so we, as as you pointed out, Natasha, we as in an of, by, and for the people form of governance, we need to insist on our leaders abiding the terms of the Constitution. Individual Americans have to ensure that the politicians in office abide the Constitution. There are too many Americans who think, well, we live in a free country and the Constitution as written guarantees us certain rights and guarantees us certain liberties coming from God and government only there to preserve and protect those rights and guarantees that our politicians will remain limited in their roles. But just because something like that is written in paper, which it is, doesn't mean that those who are elected to the leadership post are actually going to carry out those provisions as framers intended. And this is why we are facing so many problems in America and why you saw the tyranny under the coronavirus uh, for the past couple of years, because those in power went far beyond what the Constitution allowed them to do. And most in America actually allowed them to do that because of their fear over this coronavirus. So we can never put security and safety, including health concerns, above individual liberties. We always have to put those in the proper role uh, of being subservient to individual liberties. And if we as individuals will make that sometimes uncomfortable fight, then we are more guaranteed of having a political system that's in its proper context, in its proper roles, government subservient to the people. And there's another example of encroachment on individual liberty. And this past week, the Labor Department proposed a rule to reclassify millions of independent contractors as employees. So about 20 million Americans work as independent contractors, which provides them and their employers with high flexibility. Contractors decide on their own hours, work for multiple companies at the same time, and prioritize their own life, family, work decisions. So the government is now saying to individuals and employers who want to take advantage of this flexibility that independent contracting provides, that they can no longer do so. Cheryl, this sounds like another government command and control edict, which will have an unintended consequence in killing some of the 20 million jobs. What are your thoughts about this? Well, I'm not so sure it would have an unintended consequence. I think the intent of what this administration is doing through its cabinet is basically to strip individual Americans of the ability to exercise their free market rights and instead give certain powers to the unions. It's, it's a backdoor way of strengthening unions in this country. And look, I spent many, many years as a freelancer and I filed a 990 form. And as a matter of fact, when I write books, I still do that. Uh, but there are millions of Americans who either supplement their incomes by working for themselves or they do it as a full-time job, particularly under this coronavirus. We're talking about Uber drivers and DoorDash uh, drivers and so forth. And not to mention writers, freelancers, freelance artists, consultants. There's all kinds of businesses that will be impacted by this. And so to not be able to go to a company and work as a freelancer or a consultant without being treated uh, because of the 
these government mandates as an employee, what will happen is the companies won't hire these freelance and contract individuals because they'll have to put them under their same benefit system as they do their full-time employees. That's very expensive. And so that will dry up these individual businesses and, and many employees, many workers, many business owners will be forced out of business. And so really in the end, if you look at what the intent here is, this Joe Biden administration wants to give unions uh, more power, more control to get fees from employees in America. Cheryl, as we begin our conversation, you alluded to the importance of elections, meaning elections have consequences. And I would like to briefly quote Noah Webster, a member of America's founding generation. And many may not realize that he entered Yale in 1774 and interrupted his studies to serve briefly in the American Revolution. And he wrote on many subjects, including sketches of American policy in 1785, sometimes called the first statement of the U.S. Constitution. And Webster, a great patriot, encouraged and engaged George Washington and James Madison and urged America to convene a constitutional convention. And I quote a statement he shared. I quote, if the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. Laws will be made not for the public good so much as for selfish or local purposes. Corrupt or incompetent men will be appointed to execute the laws. The public revenues will be squandered on unworthy men, and the rights of the citizen will be violated or disregarded." And now when looking at the 2018 midterm elections, Pew Research stated that voter turnout as a share of the eligible population was 49%. And indeed, elections have consequences. Cheryl, as America faces a great number of challenges, what is your suggestion, what is your message to Americans that are sitting on the fence? In fact, uh, we know that there is a large group of Christians and conservatives that are concerned about America. They pray, but a great many don't participate. What is your message to them? You have to vote. It's your civic duty. Uh, you know, there are countries around the world who would die for an opportunity to have a voice in the political system like we sadly take for granted here in America. And you reference about the Christian vote, and I was about to go there in particular because I just had, um, as a guest on my own podcast, a, a guy that tracks the Christian vote in America, and it is sadly very low. And so this is why, really, we are facing so many perilous uh, times in America because those who know better, those who know how government is supposed to operate, how limited government is supposed to be in this country, and how rights come from a creator, not from government, how all those things are supposed to work together to secure American individual liberties, uh, both now and in the hereafter, those segments in American society are sitting out the election process. And so this is why we are having what Noah Webster warned about, men and women in office who are corrupt, who are uh, immoral, and they're bringing with them their immoral ideals and forcing our entire government system to crumble on itself. And so we need more moral people voting. And I know candidates aren't perfect, but guess what? Neither was anybody in the Bible uh, that, you, that you read and that you hold to be uh, is such 
find examples of humanity. The only perfect is God. And so you have to weigh the choices you have and go with the best that's offered. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we've been joined by Cheryl Chumley, a best-selling author of books Socialists Don't Sleep and Lockdown. She's the online opinion editor of the Washington Times, and she hosts a twice-weekly podcast called Bold and Blunt. We encourage our listeners to certainly visit the search engines and track down Socialists Don't Sleep and Lockdown and get your copies today and also tune into Bold and Blunt. Uh, that is a podcast on the Washington Times platform. Cheryl, thank you so much for your continued leadership on some of these vital issues of the day and informing our fellow Americans about the importance in affirming America's constitutional principles. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Jolan and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.